This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Total Saints podcast. I'm Martin Stark and each week I'm joined by our marvellous panel of guests to discuss all the action from the last seven days supporting Southampton Football Club. Now, as every week, we're streaming this episode of TSP Live on our Facebook and on our Twitter pages and you'll also find it on our official YouTube channel. So if you're watching live on Facebook or YouTube, you can get involved in the conversation using the comments section. Coming up this week on what could potentially be the happiest pod of the season, a reaction to two incredible Saints performances, a first win at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and a hard-earned point at Old Trafford. Uh, plus this week, could Ralph Harson who been taking an early retirement and will preview the game against Everton at St Mary's on Saturday. So first of all, let me introduce you to our regular TSP guest. Steve Grant is the owner of Saints Web, which is the independent Salampton FC website. How's your week been, Steve? I saw a picture uh, you guys in Dubai watching the game yesterday it looked like a great atmosphere and a good turnout yeah excellent turnout I think the the early kickoff over here always helps half past four kickoff on Saturday afternoon is kind of kind of perfect for for everybody it means you're not if you've got family commitments and stuff you can um not worry too much about sort of disrupting any plans you might have so uh yeah good excellent turnout um we had about I think we had about 20 of us down there um in the end so yeah it's um excellent yeah it's been been a very good week um i've been it was it was certainly a surprise week in terms of results i think i think performance wise i don't think it was necessarily too far away from what we've what we've come to expect in these sort of games but actually for once we kind of took advantage of the opposition giving us a giving us a sniff whereas in the past i mean that spurs that spurs cup game a couple of years ago was a prime example where we absolutely battered battered them and then still um managed to find a miraculous way to lose whereas this time we've we've obviously been the been the ones turning it turning it around late but i mean let's be honest that game wednesday we should have been five up at half time and and the game done and dusted mm, yeah um, could have been. But, uh, yeah no it's been been excellent Lots of positives. Uh, also with us is Glenda Lacour, who's the writer of League One Minus 10. That's the weekly Saints blog. Have you enjoyed the games this week, Glenn? Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. I was waiting for you to ask me what I've been doing this week. I was just going <laughs> to... Oh, have you made you up the... some stuff? <laughs> no, I was going to give you 45 seconds of silence. And going, nah, nah, nothing really. Nothing. Um, <laughs> but you've, you've learned your lessons and you've actually asked me something uh, useful. Um, yeah, both games were incredibly, um, incredibly enjoyable. Uh, Love the Tottenham game. 
Um, it was brilliant. It was frustrating first half because, as Steve said, should have been out of sight. Mm, yeah. Yesterday was really enjoyable as well. Didn't expect it because I thought we'd done our one good performance for the week. By the time that game came around, I was kind of ex- expecting a fairly sort of routine 2-0 to United sort of thing. But we were excellent again. The only criticism I've got of us is that we didn't quite work the goalkeeper enough when we had mm. chances to do so. So we could have won, but that would have been very greedy. We, we equally could have lost, but I thoroughly enjoyed the game and, uh, you know, delighted to get to the end, uh, get to the end of it with a point. And also with us is Dan Sheldon, who's the Athletics dedicated Saints reporter. Uh, busy week for you, Dan. Are you excited for the Super Bowl later? Have you got the, the Red Bull? Are you going to be up all night? No, I'm already tired, to be honest. I'm flagging already that... <laughs> This week's taking it out of me, but no, I will, I will stay up and I will watch it. Good, good, good. Uh, the biggest hello and thank you, of course, is reserved to all our patrons, wherever you're listening or watching this week. Welcome to episode 186 of the Total Saints podcast. This is the Total Saints podcast with Martin Stark, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Uh, Glenn, let's start with you this week, shall we? Was the point each a fair result at Old Trafford? Yeah, I think so. Just about, yeah, I, I think Ralph Hasenhull summed it up in that they probably shaded the first half and, you know, we shaded the second half. I was waiting for Maguire's header at the end to end up in the net and, you know, and, and feel like we'd been done again in the last minute. But um, but I think, yeah, overall, uh, a point was a was a fair result. I, I do feel, as I said earlier, with just a little bit more belief and uh, you know, a little bit more um, more composure when we got sort of near their goal. I do feel like we could have actually won it. But yeah, as I've already said, that, that would have been greedy. I, you, you can't be anything other than delighted with a point at Old Trafford, regardless of how sort of like badly they're playing. They've they've still got players who they've signed for 70, 80 million quid. I was, I was just thinking about this. You, you put it into context. They signed Luke Shaw from us seven, eight years ago for 30 million quid. That's still 10 million more than we've paid for anybody <laughs> eight yeah. years later. And, you know, Jaden Sancho got their goal. He, he cost a bit of money. Mm. And, you know, we, we've competed with them throughout. And it's, it's an object lesson that a, a team playing as a team can compete with you know 11 individuals um i also thought if you try to if you try to pick a combined 11 with saints and man united compared to compared to a few years ago a few years ago we'd have had maybe one mm. maybe two players in it whereas i think you could make an argument now that we'd have six or seven in there the the way that game was was looking yesterday so i i just thought we were excellent throughout shout out to jack stevens i thought he was tremendous when he came on cuz th- that could have been an area where it went wrong bringing a you know, a new player in at half time, but he, he got up to pace, up to the pace of the game pretty quickly. And uh, so, yeah, overall, a totally deserved point. Thoroughly enjoyed the game. And uh, yeah, it's always nice to see, um, to see United losing their rag a little bit. I mean, the booking count, <laughs> the booking count was four four zero, which is unbelievable for a game up there, for them to get four bookings and us to get none. And the only thing I'd criticise the referee for is that he wasn't harsh enough with the cards. Um, and mm. We're probably going to come on to the Bruno Fernandes giving the worst um, yep. worst audition for being a boxer you've ever seen in your life. But yeah, I think the referee was let down by VAR a little bit there. Um, Stuart Atwell, we've had him up there before and he's been horrendous. And he is a bit of a weak referee, but I, I, I would have taken his performance yesterday because basically he got the majority of the decisions right, even if he didn't. It was a little bit lenient with the cards, I thought. But um, mm. overall, happy days, great result. 
That's a great pub conversation for later in the week as well. A Saints-Man United combined 11. Be an interesting debate. Um, Steve, you must have enjoyed this one. What did you make of it all? Yeah, we were, we were good for the most part. There was For me, it was, it was only really a, I don't know, a sort of 20-minute spell kind of either side of their goal where I thought we looked like we're not, we're, not at, we're not at this. And they were kind of running through us and creating pretty good chances. I mean, they, to be honest, Ronaldo should have scored that early chance. He shouldn't have given Perro the opportunity to clear it off the line. And uh, Forster made a good save as well, didn't he, from from Ronaldo, I think? Or was it from Sancho? I can't, cross, I can't remember now. And then, obviously, they got the goal. And that's, and all those are in the first 20 minutes. Um, but at the same time, we we tested them a couple of times. Obviously, Adams slipped, what, four yards from goal, which mm. is um, unfortunate. And, and I think, yeah, the, the rebound from that, I think, was the only time that Harry Maguire did anything useful as a defender, getting the block on Wolf Prowse's follow-up. But yeah, I think I think at the end of the day we've we've grown into that game because I think towards towards half time we just realised that actually this lot aren't to be feared. Even mm. even at the theatre of dreams as it's so called. I mean to be honest, for, for United players at the moment it's a it's a theatre of dullness because they're they're not getting an awful lot of backing from the crowd despite I mean I, I always find the the whole sort of stereotype of oh you go to the big grounds and there's no noise old trafford's just really inconsistent i find because one one year will go up, go up there and it will be dead as a dormouse it'll be deathly silent for 90 minutes and they'll still win a routine sort of 2-0 win other other years will go up there and and it'll be there won't be anything in the game but weirdly there'll be a really good atmosphere um so there's no real rhyme or reason behind it there doesn't seem to be any logic there but i mean from from what i could hear of it it seemed seen the atmosphere the atmosphere was kind of all right, but they were. It was a. It was kind of a one of those sort of antagonistic, tense all atmospheres, which I don't think for a home team. I don't think that ever helps. I mean, if anybody watched the Leicester game at, um, just now, the first half of that was was kind of prime example. Like Leicester defenders kind of passing it around with very little confidence, and the fans already getting on their backs like ten minutes into the game. Just just doesn't mm. never helps anybody. And I think we we kind of picked up on that. Um, just before half time, and realised, yeah, we can we can get into these, and yeah, I mean, we hit them hit them hard right at the start of the second half, and I mean, to be honest, the chances we created in the second half, David de Gea should be coming out. Well, we we either score more goals, or David de Gea ends should end as man of the match, but unfortunately, we've not put enough shots on target, which is obviously a complete contrast to what we did on Wednesday, where we got ten on target, and Larice was was man of the match despite despite uh, being on the losing side. So, yeah, good good performance, good result, but also still ever so slightly frustrating, I'd say. That's, that's a sign of how far we've come, isn't it? Uh, Dan, you were there yesterday. Was that a brave performance from Southampton, do you think? I thought it was. I, I didn't... It, it was never going to be as good as the performance on Wednesday night, simply because how much energy they put into that game at Tottenham, the intensity of it, and it went right until the end. And Ralph said it best after the United game, actually, that for the first 40, 45 minutes, his players looked leggy. They looked tired. Man United were finding space in behind. Steve said they wasted a couple of chances. They went ahead. And you kind of thought when that happened, right, okay, Saints look in trouble here. They're probably going to lose this two or three nil. But in the grand scheme of things, they've had a brilliant week. Anyone can come to United and lose given the quality of players they have. They're a terrible team, but they have got individual quality on the pitch. And then in the second half, they just came out a completely different team. It seemed like they'd shaken off all any kind of lactic acid that had built up and they had they had chances to win that game. Bro, I remember Brozier when he went through and at first I thought, who's he trying to cross that ball to? 
and then it turns out it was just a terrible shot. He's tried to kind of like poke it with the outside of his boot into the yeah. far corner, but just completely mishit it. And it ended up looking like more like a cross. But I think that just shows how far... It either shows how far Southampton have come or how far Man United have fallen. It's probably <laughs> six of one, half a dozen of the other that they went there. They weren't at their best and they still could have won that game. But it, I think Ralph would have snapped your hand off for a point before the game. Yeah. Yeah, he seemed really happy. Um, Glenn, a word on those, uh, the front two, Adams and Ambrosia. Probably could have had a few more. Good partnership, but good individually as well. They seem to be bringing out the best of each other and enhancing each other's game. Well, I think we said a few weeks ago that, they, that they'd they only sort of play together maybe once um, in the first part of the season. And to me, it it looks it looked like a partnership that could go places. And, and it certainly is. It, it is getting better all the time. Shea Adams... Is, is on a little run at the moment where, you know, he started scoring goals again. Brozier is just a handful. Um, when he, when he decides, it's almost like he needs to decide to get involved sometimes. Um, I, he didn't, I mean, Maguire was towing a caravan all game, wasn't he? I mean, he was, he was hopeless. And when, when Brozier sort of went that side and was playing against Maguire and Shaw, I mean, Shaw, Shaw was having another one of those games where he, he just couldn't be bothered to defend half the time, couldn't be bothered to run. So I, I would have liked you know, Brozier to have gone over there a little bit more and and caused them a few more problems. But but when he when he got on the ball, he, he's he's very difficult to stop. If if you're not if you're not that quick, he is very very difficult to stop. He's very quick for such a big guy, and you know he needs to get a little bit more composure with his finishing. But you know, I, th- I think the two of them, if if we can keep those two two fit. And they, they carry on playing as they are. We, we, we're never going to be out of games. You know, we're always going to have the potential to score goals with those two there. And, um, you know, it's not it's not just those two. The, you know, the spine of the team to me now looks now looks excellent with the two in midfield, Salisu at the back and the goalkeeper playing well. It, it's, it's a very good sort of spine of the team. And just to expand it slightly further, I love the look of our starting lineup. The last two games, mm. that's, that's our best starting lineup. Um, Elianusi and Armstrong playing on the wings excellent but uh yeah come back to the forwards um i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing how they um you know how they develop the partnership um you know i, lo- I love the fact that che adams seemed to be playing slightly deeper out of the two and the amount of work that guy did back in his own half because the only time i felt like united were going to score was was on the break i didn't feel they were ever going to pick their way through us they just didn't look good enough to do that and a couple of times we lost the ball on the edge of their penalty area as you do and then you see che adams turning up at right back Mm. to um to clear the ball and you just think that's that that says something you know the desire from that guy to get back in and uh and 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 help the team and uh but i thought that you know the pair of them were a right handful but the the issue with brozier of course is that everyone's noticing now <laughs> so i'm almost happy when he comes off and he hasn't scored <laughs> We did say, didn't we, previously, it's like another million pounds for every time he's going to bang in a goal. Yeah, yeah, moment. yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. We know what the situation is, and that, that'll be a conversation for the summer. But for the rest of this season, which I think is all we can all we can really look at for now, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how those two um, carry on. A couple of VAR incidents. Some they should have looked at, some they didn't. Steve, uh, let's talk about that um, Brozier Maguire penalty when he stamped on his leg. Um, if he goes down, is that a penalty, do you think? I th- I think it's prob I think the shove is probably a foul and I think it's one that you probably get elsewhere on the pitch. Um but referees and I mean fans as well seem and players seem to take this approach as well that, that you need to have a there needs to be a kind of higher burden of proof in the penalty area, which I mean there's nothing like that in the laws. But realistically I don't I mean let's let's face it, you're not going to Old Trafford and getting that in the eighty ninth minute, are you, to win the game? 
and I don't I don't think it was that much of a, a mistake from the referee that is ev- that that's ever going to be overturned. I think if he if he gives it straight up, then you're probably not pulling it back. But having not given it, yeah, I don't th- I don't think the VAR's um, overruling that at all. We always come to you on these incidents, Dan, just to kind of have the casting vote, if you like. Um, do you think it was? Um... Right yesterday, nothing in it. Just uh, Maguire getting his, his feet in the way. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I concur with exactly what Steve just said. I don't think I could add any anything else. Yeah. I think if he gives it, they're not overturning it. But they're not gonna. If he doesn't give it, there's no way they're gonna pull that back and, and give it. it. It really was just one of those. And it was an interesting battle in midfield, Glenn, with uh, Bruno Fernandez uh, throwing his <laughs> uh, his big punches around <laughs> at James Ward-Prowse. What was all that about? He was definitely rattled. Well, Fernandez, he. He seems to think he runs the club and he runs the refereeing and he owns everything and he throws his arms around all game. You know, he's, he's a horrible player. I would imagine if you're on his team sometimes, because he just seems to be the sort of guy who is always moaning about everything. And, and that incident with Will Prowse was a real nothing. Did someone have, someone had a throw in or something? And and, Southampton throw in. Yeah. Yeah, We had had a throw on the halfway line. Yeah. And he was just trying to sort of, get to a space and Prousey stood in front of him and 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 then a bit of wrestling goes on and then he he quite clearly throws a punch now it's unbelievable that in this day in these days of VAR the the guys at Stockley Park are not going uh there might be something you might want to have a look at here it's it's unreal that he's got away with it the referee can't have seen it because any referee who sees someone throw a punch or a slap or, or whatever is going to do something about it. So, I mean, I don't know if they, they look at things retrospectively now in the days of VAR and say, hang on, we've all missed something here. And it's it's obviously of no use to us if he gets a, rep- a retrospective ban, but um, he deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a strange old thing. I mean, Fernandez, he shows, he showed what he can do in the first half. That ball that set up the goal where he took Salisu out of the play, mm. you know, with that ball to Rashford, that's a brilliant ball, and that's what he's good at. But it was interesting to see Paul Scholes on um, BT Sport afterwards highlighting the fact he that, wasn't happy, was he? Paul Scholes? No, he just said he doesn't hold his position, and that's that's part of the problem that United have got. But that's their problem. Don't care about that. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been good that. I wouldn't say we've targeted him, but we've wound him up in both games this season. It was Jack Stevens in the home game, mm. and and obviously it was it was Prousey in this game. But I just think I just think Prousey was closest to him at the time. He seemed to be getting more and more help as the as the game went on. But uh, but it's you know we we've criticised us for being too nice in the past. And if if you've got a player on the other team that's easy to wind up, then you know go and do it. It's part of the game. And just a word on Jack Stevens, Dan. I know um, we've talked about him quite a bit in the past, but coming on at half time, a change that you were probably a little bit nervous. Nervous. I think we were all like, oh gosh, this could go either way. But what did you make of his performance in that, that second half? No, I thought he was really good. I think, I know fans seem to get nervous whenever Jack Stevens comes on the pitch, but when you go back to the start of the season, how good he and, he was with Salasu at the beginning, you know, and everyone was kind of up in arms when he was injured against Man City because he'd been brilliant up until that point. So I, I do think he is a very good defender. I mean, he's not a, probably not a top 10 defender, but he's a good defender. And yeah, he came on. You, you'd think that, oh, he's not played properly, probably at this intensity for a little while, so he's going to struggle. But he he just sat right in. And I think that's probably the Salasu effect, maybe. I think because Salasu is just so good and is playing so well at the moment that Stevens automatically comes on. You, you can be confident knowing that you've got him beside you who, you know, is only on one way and that's going up at the moment. So I imagine that plays into it. But then he's also got Kyle Walker-Peters, again, excellent. And Perot, who's probably had his best week in the Southampton shirt. And we're going to get onto that Tottenham game in a minute. But mm. the defence as a unit is playing very, very well. 
And Ralph has got, you know, he wanted this two players for every position. So realistically, it should be quite seamless. If Bednarek goes out, Stevens come in, it should be a seamless transition. And that's exactly what it was in the second half at Old Trafford. So before we get on to the Spurs game, let's have a, a just a quick chat about our strongest eleven because it feels like we're almost getting there. James says, uh, a great week to be a Saints fan. I feel the biggest squad and competition for places is finally helping Saints push on as players know they can't rest on their laurels. And there's a few messages about uh, Perot and Elianusi who have had good games. Steve, Elianusi seems to be grabbing his second chance with, with both hands. Um, do, we, do we feel that we know what our strongest eleven is now, finally? Um, I think we're we're getting there. I still think there'll be minor tweaks depending on the op- on the opposition at times. Um, I think there are certain certain opponents where I think it just makes so much sense to go with three at the back and play wing backs. So as a result, that that best eleven will change in order to accommodate certain changes. But yeah, I think realistically, every manager always wants to kind of have a good idea of what their best best team is if they needed that sort of go-to 11. I mean, even, even Pep Guardiola will, I'm, I'm absolutely certain, knows who, if he was playing Liverpool tomorrow, he knows exactly which 11 he would pick for that game, hmm. um, assuming everybody's fit and available. And I think we're pretty much there, I, I, would, I would suggest. I mean, I still think the... The partner for Salasu is still a little bit up in the air, but also, I mean, Carl Walker Peters and Perro, as as you say, have kind of thrown a little bit of a spanner in the works as well, because now all of a sudden Tino Livramento doesn't automatically walk walk back into the team. I mean, how do you drop either of those at the moment? Mm, yeah. I I don't I don't see how you do. Um, the only the only way the only way Tino gets a game for me at the moment is either one of those two gets gets a knock in training or something in the next next week or two or maybe we do a little bit of rotation um for the for the FA Cup game mm. um which I mean I'm not not overly keen on because I think at the moment we've we've shown ourselves perfectly capable of competing with competing with the best teams this um this year and then in one off games I think that I think that cups an opportunity although the although the draws not fallen particularly kindly with uh, with none of the big sides drawn against each other but that can come in the next round yeah, it's interesting to see Kyle and Tino on the same side of the pitch, wasn't it? We were calling for that at the start of the season, but the other way around. So it was interesting to see, you know, Walker Peters pushed up the wing in the uh, in in the second half, and uh, and you know, Ralph talking about. I thought it was a sort of like nice nice interview where he was talking about how how good a player Walker Peters is and capable of playing, you know, virtually anywhere, which is. Um, which you know, which is a which is a good thing. So uh, I mean, when because when he made that substitution, I kind of knew Elianusi was going to come off. And you're looking at the bench and thinking, well, is he going to bring Gineppo on to to play that <laughs> side? But he obviously thought, well, I'd, I'd prefer to bring Tino on and push push Walker Peters up the wing. So uh, and I'm you know, in hindsight, I'm I'm much happier with that decision. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. So obviously that's a that's a way that. Tino will get minutes, but I, I think the important thing is is that the way Walker Peters is playing, there's absolutely no need to rush Tino back into the side until he's 100% fit. Is that kind of what we discussed a bit earlier on in the season, Dan, about the fact that it was just going to be a case of waiting to see if one of them was injured and then they would really start to come into their own because we were trying to force a way, if you like, of getting them both onto the pitch at the same time. And actually now we're kind of, you know, looking at Carl Walker Peters can't be dropped and then you've got Tino that can come in and it just gives Ralph some more options because he was talking about playing him as a number 10 for a bit wasn't he? Well I think if you go back to that the very first game of the season no one would have had Kyle Walker-Peters out out of the team there was just no way he didn't do anything to get dropped he was one of the best players last season 
And I think Tino is now in a similar position to Kyle. Kyle got back in the team. He wasn't handed a place back in the team. He got back into the team. Now, I would have been really disappointed if Tino had started at Old Trafford in place of Kyle or probably Perot would have been the one that missed out simply because he was so good against Tottenham. And everyone knows Ralph loves Tino. So you're kind of thinking, surely he's not going to do it. But then he probably would because he loves Tino. And I think it was an important sign of his man management, actually, for me and how that has developed. Because I think in recent months or recent seasons, he would have just made that change without thinking, well, what will that tell a player like Romain who's who's just done really well that I'm going to bomb him out with the first opportunity because mm-hmm. this this young lad's back so yeah it's a it's a good sign that they're in that position that they've got these fullbacks but Kyle had never done anything wrong to get dropped Kyle remains for me one of the club's best players Tino's 18 years old he he's superb he's clearly got so much potential and he's going to be England's best right back probably in three or four maybe five years but for now he's just come back from quite a lengthy spell out don't rush him you don't need to you've got Kyle he's doing just fine and let Tino get back in the team the way he gets back in the team is at Old Trafford for example he comes on in the last 30 minutes do something amazing in those 30 minutes create a goal score a goal whatever and that gives Ralph something else to think about Mm. Jack says pro is class and doesn't get enough praise I'd rather have him at left back than KWP for the the left foot crosses and uh, Ed saying Perot was an absolute bargain as well I think we think we can all agree on that let's talk about the Tottenham game Ralph said it was the best he'd seen the side play he was just so he did row back on that in the in our oh, press he? conference he did yeah because <laughs> my boss um, said to me he just said that's the best game he's ever been in charge of and then in with the written media, he then said, "It's the best first half I've been in charge of." And I thought, <laughs> "Well, so did he quantify what what the best game is, or uh, did he leave us to guess?" No, just he said that was the best first half performance he's he's seen from Southampton. Steve, was it the best you've seen the side play under Ralph? Oh Christ, there's a question. Um, City was good. Yeah, um, I think in terms of actually taking it to a supposed big side, I mean, Spurs have got all kinds of problems at the moment so that so everything's always got to be taken in taken into context but yeah I think given our relatively low expectations of that game knowing what our record is is like against them how we almost always find a find a weird and wonderful new way of losing against them I think yeah the the way we brushed off the fact that we gave them a goal start and didn't let any of any of that bother us at all and it it didn't seem to even bother us the fact that we kept missing these missing these guilt edge chances either. I mean, without Larice, if they if they had the, it were, I don't don't even know who Spurs reserve keeper is these days because um, Gazzaniga's gone to Fulham, hasn't he? Um, but whoever whoever their reserve keeper is now, if if he'd been forced to play this play that game on Wednesday, I mean, we we would have been four four or five up because I think without that sort of psychological thing of oh it's Hugo Larice I'm about to hit this ball that I think Che Adams probably finds the corner I think he's probably overthought that really early chance and basically done exactly what he did in that game last, last season and, mm-hmm. and hit him hit him right in the midriff from what about two yards it's like how have you how have you managed to repeat that <laughs> um given that I'm sure that we we almost certainly sat here um last season sort of talking about that game and saying well he could he could have that chance 100 times and he'd he don't he wouldn't hit the keeper again and next opportunity he's done exactly the same um but yeah it was yeah that i mean that first half was other than sort of probably the five minutes again either side of either side of the spurs goal we were just relentless and we just played played right through spurs midfield all the time i mean hoiberg has basically turned into the player that we 
we saw at the kind of yeah. um the end one that gets sent out for the press conferences yeah the one and the one that the one that we were actually sort of turning and saying well fine Spurs you can have him give us money mm. no yeah. problem at all and yeah so him and him and Winks as a, as a pair doesn't work and and I mean Romeo and War Prowse just tore them to pieces mm. and gave us so much space in between the lines as well and with the with the two wide forwards where they where they were able to either come inside or or go on the outside um not not too worried not too worried about either because Reggion and I mean Emerson Royale is just dreadful <laughs> um but although saying saying that Matt, Matt Doherty didn't have um wasn't any better today against against his old side Wolves um so yeah they that's another problem position for them but yeah we we just we just tore into them it's like we've obviously done looked at the tapes seen where they're vulnerable which is basically anywhere behind the front three mm. and said right we'll attack all of those and we'll do it methodically and systematically and they will they will not have an answer to it mm. and they didn't have an answer to it other than our poor finishing and that was that was genuinely the uh, pretty much the only complaint I could have of our performance um, on Wednesday, I think. John says Romeo was an unsung hero for the two games. Uh, brilliant with and without the ball. A lot of love for Romeo in the comments tonight. Um, it was a great game for the neutrals, but even better for us, Glenn. That was uh, a, a hell of a game to watch. Yeah, it um, it really was. There were times in the game where you kind of felt, oh, oh, here we go. The inevitable defeat to Spurs coming up. Obviously, when they scored. The first goal, and you know, it's an own goal again. Bednarek going for the golden boot of own goals this season. Um, I, mean, I don't know how many that is now. <laughs> it's at least two. But we was, you know, we talked a while ago about us not responding well to setbacks, and we were brilliant. We responded brilliantly both when we went one nil down, when we went two one down. You know, you can't buy that sort of sort of reaction. And uh, yeah, I, I just. Uh, yeah, from start to finish, frustrating when we got in at half time and it was still one-one because we had all you know the ball was pinging around the you know the the Spurs goal at, at the end of the first half couldn't score. Thought we might have missed the boat at half time because we you know we've been on top and we've we've not scored or not gone ahead. New Spurs would improve, but I, I found it really interesting. I I don't know if this is the the Conte influence, the Italian thing, but once Spurs Spurs pushed up in the second half, got on top of us, and we weren't playing much football. Then they scored, which should have been disallowed, but we won't go into that because it was a while ago. And then they seemed to take a step back. I mean, part of that was us going, I can't believe we're losing this game. Right, let's get back on it. Yeah. But Spurs seemed to take a step back and almost like settle for 2-1, thought they'd done their job. And uh, I mean, you talk about responding to setbacks. I mean, we got our second goal and Spurs responded to that by conceding exactly the same goal again. You know, unmarked player in the box. No one putting any pressure on Ward Prowse when he crosses the ball. And they're just so, it's just so funny. You know, Walker Peters has got the ball. He's just turned around. Oh, there's Ward Prowse in acres of space. I'll just roll it back to him. And um, two crosses, two really good headers. Um, I, I, Adams's header was brilliant. I loved Elianusi's goal simply because of the movement. Hmm. That's, that's something I've always, it's always bothered me in the last three or four years about Saints with a lack of movement in the box, lack of movement ahead of the ball. And just the way he came in off the wing, just jogged into the space. Spurs aren't 
good enough defensively to go with him. And, you know, he got, he totally got his reward for, uh, for, for making that run. So uh, yeah, love the game and the, uh, the disallowed goal in the last minute was, was just perfect. As soon as that, Priceless. as soon as that still came up and you see, yes, he's offside, get in. Was, uh, yeah. Have you seen yeah. the video of the lad on Twitter that was filming himself? Oh, yes. for the? Uh, well, yeah, I, well, I, don't, I don't understand why people do this. Oh, no, you're just setting yourself because, up for a fool. We'll because, have to share that. But also, you don't people get... should be in prison anyway. <laughs> but, you, but you don't get. I mean, anybody who's anybody who's been to a game um, at any time, well, since mobile phones have been a thing, you do not get a signal in the ground. Mm. So he wasn't broadcasting live. So nobody has kind of picked up on this off of somebody else's um, social media and said, oh, look at this idiot broadcasting. He, think, he thinks they've scored and now he's been made to look a mug. No, he's, he's filmed himself. It's all, it's all happened. They've lost the game. They've been booed off and he's gone home and he's actually put that together and edited it and uploaded it to social media. What and goes it's his through biggest, someone's mind? It's his biggest tweet of the year. Um, Dan, Ross says, uh, it's been great to see us not giving up, going a goal down and fighting to get back into the game um, the last couple of games. I think Wednesday kind of summed up the character of the side, didn't it? And, and it was a real uh, demonstration of how far we've come recently. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Which Glenn touched on at the beginning when he started talking about the Spurs game. But I think with, with the Spurs game, at no point did it ever really feel like they were they were never out of they were they were always on top. The Bednarek own goal was, you know, was obviously unfortunate. And bar a mini kind of Tottenham renaissance where, where they scored, there was just nothing. Southampton just had so much success down that left side. I mean, Royale, I he was just he just looked way out of his depth. You know, it was just time and time and time again they were getting so much success down that left side. I think even in the first half, I think mean, Pro had a pop shot, didn't he, that hit the bar that was just, yeah, it was just non-stop down that left-hand side, basically. And then kind of ironic that the two winners come from the other side of the pitch. But I think for me, what, what was most impressive about the Tottenham game was just how good Southampton were on the ball. They were just sublime on the that You know, they Tottenham basically said, you've got to create the chances. And they did that. You know, Tottenham were happy to kind of sit back, try and soak up the pressure, then hit them on the counter-attack. And, at, you know, in, in games gone past, in certainly last season, you know, Southampton would have struggled to find a way to break down Tottenham or to create chances to score. They didn't struggle for at all on Wednesday night. There was just chance after chance after chance after chance. And yeah, I mean, two two goals of exactly the same. I mean, that just shows you how poor Tottenham Tottenham have become because they've, they're supposed to be this well-organised team with one of the best managers in the world, but they've let the best, definitely the best set piece taker, probably the best crosser of the ball in the Premier League, have more than enough space to pick his spot twice without thinking well maybe we won't do that again they've just let them do it twice <laughs> and it's just it, it's remarkable really when you think about it. You know, these are this is a team that is supposed to be pushing for the champions league and they've watched the best set piece taker the best crosser of the ball in the premier league just twice just <laughs> cross the ball untalented, into the box <laughs> two minutes yeah, exactly the same mark both times <laughs> yeah. and i think it was the, the tottenham one just felt like it just felt like a culmination of all the good work that had been done this season for me that's what it felt like for me was just it was the culmination of just brilliant business in the summer getting rid of players that didn't want to be at the club that were you know stinking out the dressing room replacing them with you everyone for hungry everyone fighting to play you know making sure they take their chances and yeah it was just a brilliant night I think one of the better ones I think I've had covering the club was just how good Southampton were and they absolutely bullied Tottenham off the pitch and 
seeing Hoiberg get taken off early is just, you think that was a player that wanted to, to leave Southampton, that threw his toys out of the pram and was not going to sign a new contract. Got dropped and today as well. He dropped today. And I mean, to, don't want to labour on this point, but I, I text my, a friend of mine earlier, did Southampton win the did Southampton win the summer transfer window? When you think about it, £45 million for Vestergaard and Ings. It's just remarkable when they both had a year left on their contracts. I mean, my guess is that Martin Simmons probably negotiated those deals. I mean, next time I buy a house, you know, I'd, I'd happily like let you know, he can be the estate agent the deal. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he, you know how the ability to certainly with Vestergaard just to pull Leicester's trousers down mm, in front of mm. them was just well, amazing. Leicester were, Leicester were absolutely desperate, weren't they? Because they were, they were, taken. they were. But I mean, even to take advantage of that. But yeah, Tottenham. The Tottenham game was just the culmination of what had been a brilliant few weeks on the kind of biggest stage in a fantastic stadium it was just brilliant to watch and Saints were absolutely excellent it was one of those games that I watched live and then watched it on match of the day again <laughs> afterwards it's like well, I think I was awake until about I mean I stayed in London that night anyway because I had to be in the office for something else but I was awake until like half two buzzing I'm not even a fan <laughs> and I was just like this was just so good oh <laughs> uh, it's great a couple of other things before we get on to the uh, the Everton preview going to talk about the goalkeeper and uh, and Fraser Forster's had a couple of really good games now we know that he's going to be out of contract at the end of the season and we're looking to to bring somebody in Dean says absolutely loving his uh, his time management I picked up on that a couple of times actually I think he's very good at, at that isn't he just running the clock down there's nothing um, better than watching a goalkeeper pick up the ball and lay down on the floor down, that's yeah. one of the best things I think well walk around the back of the goal to take the yeah, goal yeah. from the other side that's always a good one that he does but Steve James says do you think there's any chance we might look at keeping him does his performance this last couple of games change the, the whole fact that you know he's on a, a huge amount of money and uh, and he's obviously not or hasn't been the first choice keeper it's, it's a difficult one isn't it and I think I think it's everything is complicated by the fact that the club had very clearly made a decision back uh, earlier this season that Alex McCarthy was the guy we were we were going to put the money behind now in hindsight that looks a terrible decision well maybe not terrible but uh less than less than optimal decision shall we say given that McCarthy's performances before he got injured were a bit ropey but we but at the end of the day we also know that Forster's capable of having those um those down moments as well but I th- I think I mean my my opinion on the two keepers has always been that I think McCarthy will always give you a, a very steady base level um he doesn't really fluctuate up or down an awful lot um, from that base level. Forster, I think, has a much higher ceiling, but also probably a lower floor. Um, so it's a case of where where do you kind of want to stick your eggs in that particular basket? I mean, I, I kind of have a gut feel that we're still looking for looking for somebody else. Um, I mean, Dan, Dan maybe maybe either confirm or deny, but I mean the Sam Johnston situation doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be going going away. He's obviously out of contract in the summer, so I mean the but the the problem there is, again, as you as you mentioned at the at the start of this, is wages. Um, we know that Forster is one of our highest paid players. I mean, we don't know for sure, but it sounds possible that McCarthy might be up there now as well. Hmm. Which I mean, you're not going to keep both of them on on silly numbers. I would I would think. You're, I mean, unless unless we're somehow able to, if if we've decided, oh, actually, we've we've screwed up here. Unless we're able to find some sort of solution which sees McCarthy leave, I don't I don't see how we can possibly. Um, justify giving Forster a new contract now, unfortunately. What would you like to see happen, Glenn? What's the ideal scenario for you? Well, I think Steve summed it up very well. If if we have indeed sort of made McCarthy on the same sort of wages that, that Forster is on, can we keep both of them? Probably not. Can we bring in someone else to be first choice, like a, a Sam Johnston or a Dean Henderson? You, you do 
you do sort of wonder, you know, can they ju- can you justify doing that? I, I mean, I know Dan's commented on this before. I find it dead weird that if if they've given McCarthy a new contract, why haven't they announced it? Um, I, I find that very strange. I, I see no possible advantage of keeping it a secret. You know, it's a strange one. Fraser is certainly playing well enough at the moment. If you if you just forget the contract situation for the moment, you don't really want any member of your current first eleven to be to be leaving out a contract at the end of the season hmm. um, because you've got you've got to make a decision. You've got to bring in someone who's going to be better. You know, otherwise your team is going to be is going to be weaker next season, which is obviously not what you want. Do you think so the door's still open, Dan, or not? Do you think it's 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 a done deal now? He's off. I think to kind of go about this in a long way, go back to this time last year and. Everyone was in the same situation. You know, Alex had been out, Fraser had come in and was doing very well. And then there was a clamour that Fraser's the number one, he has to be our number one. Over the summer, Ralph has obviously seen something in Alex and Fraser and whatever. And at the start of the season, he decided to go with with Alex. You know, they've given him the contract and so on. And then we're in this, exactly the same position now. Alex is out injured and he actually had COVID last time, he wasn't injured. But he, you know, mm. Alex is injured now. Fraser's come in and all of a sudden it's, God, this, you know, Fraser's on number one. He has to play. He has to play. For me, the club made that decision. I don't think they should back out of it now. I think you just have to, you know, get on with it. And let's be realistic. Why is Fraser Forster still at Southampton Football Club? Because of the money he's on. No one else could buy him. Mm. You know, no one else wanted to buy him. He, he, he would not be at Southampton if a club were going to come in and offer to buy him and take his wages, it would just, it, that, that's why he is still at Southampton with a year left with however many months left on four months left on his contract is because no one could have, no one else would come in and pay him the money Southampton are. The situation they're in, if they want to go down the route of keeping Fraser Forster, which for me makes no sense whatsoever, because what they should be doing is thinking, right, okay, who can we get that's good, that's young, that in, in a year, in a two years, will really be pushing Alex McCarthy so that when his contract ends, or even before his contract ends, there's another young one that's, I don't know, 25, 26, whatever age, but younger than the two there now. That's what they should be looking to do. If they, I, I, I'd be shocked. I don't think they will. You can never say never, but I'd be shocked mm. if they gave Forster a new deal. I don't think it makes any sense. There was a time, you know, they were paying their two goalkeepers an obscene amount of money, and they'd be back to square one if they decide to, to keep both of them, it just doesn't make, for me, it doesn't make sense, but I'm not paid to make those decisions. So. <laughs> um, the other thing I just wanted to get your opinion on, Dan, was this stuff about Ralph considering retirement in 2024. I know you, you've written about that. Where did this come from? This was an interview he'd done. Uh, it wasn't with the English press, was it? It was a, an interview he'd done uh, with, the, was it the Austrian press or German press? Uh, it was Kicker, German, yeah. So Ralph's two kind of uh, outlets of choice are Build and Kicker, both in Germany. And the whole retiring thing is something he's, he has said before, yeah, he's basically just said, you know, when it gets to the end of my contract, I'm, I want to, re- I, I will consider retiring. Do I think he actually will consider retiring? Well, it's interesting because now he's said it, makes it a bit more real. There's a bit of pressure there that he's put on himself to to kind of walk away. Although I'm sure in two years, no one will particularly remember it if he's mm. still on a massive upward curve and everyone's loving him. But then at the same time, you when you get to know him a bit, he is just 24-7 intense. You think there's no way that guy could be sat at home at 57 years old watching games of football on the weekend and not being involved. He just lives it, breathes it. I mean, I remember him saying that it was a nightmare 
when he had COVID and he missed one of the games. Oh, that's right. Yes, he, he had to watch it from his flat, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he was probably like a caged up animal inside his flat because he couldn't impact the game or any kind, any kind of influence. So I was not necessarily surprised because he said it before, but I think it's one of them, I believe it when I see it, that if he mm. actually walks away, then fair play and kind of good luck. But right now I'd be shocked if he did. And two years is a long time in football anyway, isn't it? Indeed. So Right. Uh, and he Everton, might get sacked before then. So. That's the thing that I also read this week. Yeah, you never know. 18 months time. Who knows? Everton at St. Mary's on Saturday. New manager, new signings, three goals at the weekend. What have you made of, of them recently, Steve? Bit of a different side than uh, than the, uh, the start of the season. Yeah, although um, they've also been beaten 3-1 at Newcastle. So, well, kind of temper Saturday's um, Saturday's 3-0 win against Leeds with, with that. I think... I mean, Lampard will improve their attacking output, but as we've seen with both his Derby team and his Chelsea team, eventually any semblance of defensive organisation that they had will be eroded over t- over the period that he's there. And by the sound of it, they've got quite a few defensive injuries. I think Yerry Mina's out for a while now. That's probably a good um, thing for them. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know. I mean, he's he's kind of, he kind of <laughs> seems from from what I've from what I've read, he seems to be the one that the fans think is is kind of the one that kind of holds it all together. Um, not ne- not that he's necessarily their best their best defender, but he's kind of got got the organisational capability. He's got the um, the sort of clout in the dressing room, having played for Barcelona and things like that. Um, and he's he's quite a good sort of leader. Whereas now you're left with, I mean, who have they got? Michael Keane and Holgate. Who Holgate, who I mean, they're all right, but I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure those two are getting our side now. And we're not great. We're still not great defensively. So yeah, I think their their defense is certainly there to be got at. If they if they try and play in an attacking way that they did against Leeds, and we're on our game in the way that we've been the last couple of weeks, then we'll win very comfortably, and we'll just pick them off. If the if Lampard is a little bit more pragmatic, a little bit more sensible, and whether the players will actually buy into this sort of system, given that that's what kind of seemed to screw Benitez over, is that the players didn't seem to want to play a, a defensive-minded system, um, then we might have might have some more issues because I mean we don't. While kind of in the last few weeks we've been we've been playing well against teams who have who have been quite happy to try and attack us, mm. we've not yet in this run been tested against a team that is happy to sit back and just soak up pressure um, and frustrate us. Um, even even Wolves kind of gave it a go in in parts before they went 1-0 up. So it was that was quite an open um open game. Whereas I think if if Everton were to play defensively, I, I mean I don't know whether they're good enough to do that, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether Lampard is is capable of setting a team up to play that way. Um certainly from from what we've seen of of his previous managerial um, stints, he's probably not. So if they go all guns blazing, then, I mean, yeah, sure, Richarlison's probably going to get a hat-trick, but we're going to stick a few past them as well. It's going to be a great atmosphere at St Mary's, Glen. Expectations are going to be high. Is that where we could possibly come undone? We go into it thinking, as fans, you know, oh, this would be you know a good game and uh, we ought to get a decent home win here. I know the team won't prepare that way, but... If you're a Saints fan and you have been for a while, if you go into a game expecting to win, then you're an idiot. Basically, you know, know, we all think we might win one nil, but we don't really believe it. Um, You know, you're you're only ever one um, one game away from a disaster. We Mm. could easy we could get beat three nil by Everton. You know, it's just as it's just as likely as us winning. But I I agree with um, I agree with what Steve said. 
Everton are going to play in a more attacking, open way. And and that's going to suit us. I mean, they since Lampard's been there, they've had two wins at home against Brentford and Leeds, who are both mm. poor sides. And the away game, they got stuffed up at Newcastle. So who are also a poor is, side? Who are poor side? And then this is a this is our ground. So we're the best side that they've played since since Lampard's come in. Um, it will be interesting to see how he sets up. I mean, Everton have got individual players that have hurt us in the past. Richarlison and Calvert Lewin, though Calvert Lewin doesn't seem to be either fully fit or in favour at the moment. They've got this winger Anthony Gordon, who seems to have been doing relatively well. So they will pose an attacking threat. But yeah, I mean, in theory, it should be a, a a relatively high scoring game because you know they're they're going to try and attack and and that's going to leave the leave the door open for us at the other end and I, I, I found new, yeah I mean you, you know you talk about the transfer business they've done I mean they've they've signed players at the uh, in the in the transfer window that all sort of play the number 10 position and you think the reason Everton are near the bottom of the league was nothing to do with the number 10 position it's because they're um you know their defenders weren't very good and um and Jordan Pickford's not particularly having a great time so it'd be interesting to see what what Everton put up on the out on the pitch and, and how they set up. Are they going to go with sort of like five attacking players who are not really interested in defending? If so, I'm quite happy. Well, Mark reckons a nice 2-1 win. Elenusi, maybe, taking the uh, the 60-minute injury for the extra bonus points. I like that, actually. Which player goes down to get the uh, the drinks break around 60 minutes? Uh, so Mark's going for 2-1. Dan, how do you see this one playing out? It's a score prediction. Yeah, go for your score prediction. Uh, I'm going to go for a 2-0 Southampton win. 2-0. Steve, score prediction from yourself? Uh, well, we've not kept a clean sheet for ages now. Fair and, point. Yeah, so get your money on both teams to score. 3-2, I reckon. Uh, Glenn, you mentioned there might be goals. What are you saying? Yeah, I was going to say 3-2 as well, but I'm, I'll, 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 I'll go for a wildly entertaining 4-2 win. I've got to be honest, I didn't check back <laughs> the... Happen, uh, it? <laughs> I didn't check back the predictions from last week. I'm just assuming that nobody got them right. I don't know. Did anyone say we were going to beat Spurs 3-2? No, but I'm... I'm I think I, I went for Old Trafford. Right. I right. think I went for a draw Old Trafford. So you're going I said we beat United. We'll check the tape. <laughs> yeah. We'll check the tape. I mean, how's the league table looking for that? I mean, you obviously haven't got it now and I've just Terrible. thrown you under a bus. So for next week, maybe we can have an update. <laughs> you, want, you want the uh, the predictions league table for next week? Yeah, uh, not the fantasy football one. That's not important. The other one. <laughs> we can do that for you, I'm sure. Nice one. Right, thanks, chaps. Before we go, a big shout out to our loyal and much-loved patrons. In our Matt Letizia tier, we've got Colt Baker, Dave Ernsberger, Ed Busy. Thanks for your comments tonight, Ed. Uh, and Phil Cook as well. And in the Francis Bernardi tier, we've got Nick Reed and Matt Hall. To find out more about becoming a TSP patron and all the benefits that come with that you can check out the website uh, thanks to Dan thanks to Steve thanks to Glenn uh, don't forget to follow this podcast wherever you're listening on the socials it's at Total Saints Pod that's where you'll find us on Twitter and Facebook and you can always drop us an email via the website thanks for listening stay safe and well and we'll see you next week away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for McDonald's maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. 
by fans.